0: The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM
1: Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast I'm your host Jeremy McCarthy You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 This week's guests include We welcome back resident AFLW expert and coach to the Irish Aussie Rules Professionals Mike Curran To break down an historic couple of weeks for the AFLW And what lies in store for Irish players over the coming weeks Monster Women's Rugby Development Officer Ken Imbush Bush joins Chairperson Wendy Keenan and I to analyse the phenomenal growth in women's rugby inside and outside the province. Our resident Big Red Bench Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie is back for her weekly slot to review the Barcelona GP and look ahead to this weekend's prestigious Monaco Grand Prix. Cork senior footballers Mauro Callan and Laura O'Malley join me to preview this weekend's Munster Ladies Championship final with Kerry and we hear from Cork and Kerry's under-14 camps following their epic All-Ireland El GFA final. And finally... Cork Senior camogie Manager Matthew Toomey joins me to review his team's All-Ireland Championship win away to Wexford and looks ahead to Saturday's All-Ireland Showdown with Clare. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. AFLW Ireland's AFLW expert and coach to current and former Irish Aussie rules professionals Mike Curran returns to the Big Red bench. It's been an historic couple of months as the new AFLW 7.0 season gears up with news of improved player contracts, four new expansion franchises and much, much more. Here's Mike to break it all down. No, it is a real thrill to welcome back one of our favourite guests throughout the past season, past year here on the Big Red Bench, our AFLW expert or coach to the Stars, call him what you like. But Mike Curran rejoins us. Mike, how are you?
2: I'm very well, Ger. How is yourselves?
1: I'm great. Um, I'm very busy, but I'm nowhere near as busy as you have been over the past couple of weeks and months. Because uh, not only are you dealing with a lot of potential Irish players that might be potentially going over to Australia to join the new, uh, the the expanding AFLW with all the new franchises coming, but there's been so much news over in Australia about the new season. Um, it's it's there's a lot to cover, a lot to take in. But just for for now, Mike, from your own point of view, can you explain because? Things have finally been settled in Australia between the AFLW and between the players about the whole new season. There's been a bargaining agreement. A lot has been happening. But at its at its most basic, can you explain to our listeners what the CBA is and what it means for Australian rules professionals?
2: Of course, And As you said, it's absolutely hectic during the season was, was, was a blitz compared to this. This is supposed to be the quiet part of the year, but it's actually manic at the minute. So yeah, look, at it. it's been all the talk across the last four or five weeks, I suppose, effectively, and it's all coming down to the CBA. And what that is, is it's the collective bargaining agreement. And that's something, I suppose, that sets out the rules and regulations and terms for the season and the players' conditions and their pay and all of that. And that is agreed between the AFL Players Association, which I suppose to put it in context is the equivalent of the GPA here or the Gaelic Players Association and the AFL. So what has happened is there's been an existing CBA um, for three years and that expired in April and a new, uh, a new CBA was being negotiated. But also there was a bit of a perfect storm where there was two other things happening as well, two monumental, I suppose, events. Firstly, the expansion of the AFLW with four new teams added, and we can we can go into that in a bit more detail along the way. And also the movement of the start of the AFLW season. So these three things are all happening at once, and that's what's created all this manic activity across the last three or four weeks. And everybody has been waiting for the CBA to be finalized, and eventually it it came out there at the start of this week. And the, the players now, both the Irish players and, and the whole playing group now have some idea of what the season is going to look like. They've got their dates. Most importantly, they've got an incredible pay rise, which is fantastic to see. And again, we can chat through that. But that's it in a nutshell. Everybody's been waiting for it. There's finally been an agreement. They've had to go with a one-year CBA just to be able to get the dates confirmed for this season for AFLW 7.0. Normally uh, it was would be a three-year. So we've got a one-year. You could call it a bridging CBA agreement to get through this season and they'll be straight back at the negotiation table next year then for a multi-year deal, hopefully.
1: Yeah, no, you've, you've explained it very well there. I think one of the big headlines to come out on this side of the on, of the world, though, was the fact that player salaries are now increasing on average by 94%. So the equality side of this, away from all the bargaining in the CBA, Mike, this is a hugely important step forward for equality and for women in sport.
2: It's absolutely massive and it's a huge acknowledgement, I suppose, of the effort and the time uh, that the the female players give to the game. It's a sign of the AFL's intent and commitment to the future of the game, to the future of the players, the future of the competition. So yeah, a 94% increase, almost doubling pay. So this was unforeseen. It was anticipated that there would be a pay rise of some sort and justifiably so. But to come out with nearly double, I suppose that is brilliant news for every player, for all our Irish players, for all the players over there. And now it, it's become actually a lucrative enough career, I suppose, for anyone that's looking at it. But just reward for the players, no more than they deserve. Um, That's for this season going forward. And the likelihood is, of course, across the next few seasons, that the pay will increase further as the amount of games increase. And the long-term or the medium-term goal, I suppose, is that aflw will get to a full-time competition by 2026 so across the next three years that those pay rates will continue to rise and we'll get to a stage where the players will be on a year-long contract and they'll be playing all the teams in the competition a full league across the year and um the, the salaries will be even higher by then but yeah that's definitely the headline figure to come out from the whole thing
1: it is and it's just it's fantastic to see it because as you mentioned there not alone is all of this happening but we've also now had the introduction of four new franchises which swells the number of competing franchises obviously extends the season gives more games more exposure and more media coverage but of those four franchises what can we expect uh, in their first season Mike I know it's early days and we don't have players signed and everything but there's some pretty famous names in there.
2: Oh, there is. And look, at you've got Port Adelaide, Essendon, Sydney Swans and Hawthorne. So big clubs coming into the fray for the first time. A few of them have been sitting there waiting for this opportunity for a number of seasons and they've finally got their chance now. All four teams coming on board together. The competition increases from 14 teams to 18 teams. Of course, this will be the last expansion for the foreseeable future unless the AFL themselves add another franchise. So this won't happen again. It's It's a fairly monumental event. We've had... Two expansions already along the way. When the competition started, originally it was eight teams, it went to 10, it went to 14, and now we're going to go to 18. And look at that's, I suppose, where all the buzz and activity and excitement has been with the expansion teams. There's a few things that happen. Firstly, the, the expansion teams, I suppose, for want of a better description, are given a bit of leeway and they can effectively take players from other teams. And that's been going on in the background, despite the fact that the agreement wasn't signed off and they've been getting commit- commitments, I suppose, from players. Uh, we'll see all the actual official announcements now and contracts signed across the next week. I think that starts from the 24th for the expansion period. But yeah, we've seen some big moves, I suppose, most notably the likes of Aaron Phillips going from Adelaide across the city to Port Adelaide would be one of the headline ones there. But we've lots of big stars moving. Um, lots of the clubs are losing players to the expansion teams, which is the other side of it. And the actual finer details of the CBA are due to issue to the clubs, I think, in the next 24 hours or so. So there'll be some rules around that. There'll be so many players that an expansion team can take from another team, and there'll be so many players that an existing team can lose to an expansion team. So there will be caps in it, but some teams can lose up to, I think, maybe even eight players to expansion clubs. So significant movement, and there's been a swell of activity around that. And as you said... We've seen some big names move already. We have the likes of Hawthorne who have announced 14 players already. So they're halfway along to their list build. Uh, so getting very exciting when you see things like that happening.
1: It certainly is. And it's the land of opportunity. I mean, this is a player-driven cycle, though, I would imagine, Mike, and from your knowledge of it. Obviously, there's an attraction with a new franchise in terms of money. There's a chance to make money here. There's a chance to be part of and play from the very beginning for like established players moving to... to to any one of uh, of the four new franchises that you mentioned, Essendon, Hawthorne, Port Adelaide, or Sydney Swans, but I suppose look, just keep like the preseason commences. It, it's only around the corner. Like I mean, the preseason starts on the thirteenth of June. The season commences in the twenty fifth to the twenty seventh of August, and we run right through when the finals begin in November, straight through to a grand final, which is down for the twenty fifth to the twenty seventh of November. So timing here, I mean, it must be manic at the moment between players, between agents, between clubs. There's never been anything like this before.
2: There sure hasn't, and manic is the word. It's, it's Armageddon out there. It has <laughs> been for the last three or four weeks, and now that the rules and regulations are there, it's going to be crazy. Like there's Every club has player announcements backing up. Like It's like Cork Airport, or even Heathrow <laughs> Airport, probably more like it. So we'll see a raft of announcements now. Um, we're going to see the expansion period start this week, so we'll see all the expansion signings announced first. Then the sign and trade period will follow after that we we'll see all those announcements coming through as well and we'll start to see the returning Irish players, some of the Irish players changing clubs potentially on trade deals and some of the new Irish players, such as the players I'm working with heading over as well. All those official announcements will follow now in the next five to ten days or so. But yeah, it's extremely exciting, I suppose. But the timeline is really tight. As you mm. say now, as we sit here today, people will be starting pre-season in three weeks' time. So that is phenomenally close. And of course, we are going to have the unusual um, scenario where we will have two full AFLW seasons in one calendar year in 2022. What are they going to call it? Is it 2022 <laughs> B we see written down in some places? It's going to be a nightmare for the for the logistics people and the commentators and the likes of ourselves trying to keep up with it. But uh fierce, exciting to roll from one season pretty much effectively into another one within a few months. And I suppose the timing, some people might have thought that while the season would always change that they might do that in a phased basis over a few years and go from February to November to September to August but they've done it in one foul swoop one go, going straight from a February start to an August start yeah. so it is straight back on top of us now which is uh which is mental but <laughs> it's what's happening so great excitement
1: I, I, I know I know I can I can hear your voice and that's why you haven't been on the show because people have been asking over the last few weeks you've just been flat out we're not going to get into what you've been doing right now because it's a very delicate time for players and contracts. But one thing we do want to ask you before we let you go um, it's because we had her on the show a couple of weeks ago and that's Cork, uh, former Cork LGFA senior and McCroom footballer Erica O'Shea. Now, she has announced that she is going. It's official. She is going to the AFLW and it's a fantastic opportunity for her. You know what kind of a person and a player she is. She's very young, but she's got huge ambition. She has all the attributes to potentially be a big star. But what... What are these weeks like now for her, uh, Mike, and, and, and how much are you looking forward to seeing how she goes in AFLW?
2: Oh, I'm incredibly excited. You know you know yourself, is a fantastic person, a fantastic player. Um, she's going to light it up over there on and off the pitch. You know, her personality, that's one of the main things, her athleticism and her um, ability on the pitch is without question, and, and her backstory and what she's achieved as, at such a young age and the obstacles she's overcome and all of that, that's all phenomenal. But it's her personality and her 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 drive and her determination and her mindset off the pitch. That's one of the main things that attracted the attention of multiple clubs. You know, Erica is heading over. She's confirmed that herself. Um, the official announcement as to where she'll be going will be made very shortly. But she had interest from multiple clubs because of all those um, various attributes. And look, at, I'm delighted for her. She's an amazing player to work with. I've been working on her across the last year these few weeks now are absolutely hectic. You know, the, the logistics side of it, we could do a chat about that in its own mm. in terms of getting the contract signed, where is she going to live, who is she going to live with, when is she flying out. Um, she's on strength and conditioning programs already here now, working hard, incredibly hard. Um, all of that sort of stuff, it's all coming thick and fast and she will be on a pitch for pre-season in, in three week, weeks' time, which is incredible, incredible to believe. And as you said, she is the youngest person ever to head over. And, and that's something that she's quite proud of herself as well. And as well as working with Erica across these last period of time, I've worked very closely with with Maria and John, her parents as well, of course. And there's a huge support for her and for the family from the clubs in Australia to make sure that all, everything she needs is catered for. Her. But yeah, incredibly exciting and uh, I can't wait to see her in action to be honest and just to hear hero of, of her adventures because you could listen to her talking all night um but yeah it's it's brilliant eric is brilliant and i think she's going to be a star over there
1: right um look we could do a whole podcast we could do a couple of hours really basically on what's been happening over the last couple of weeks with aflw we could talk about what might or might not happen in the coming weeks but we don't have just don't have the time right now Mike but we are delighted to have you back on the Big Red Bench to talk us through the next couple of the most interesting weeks possibly of the year before the second season in one full calendar year begins of AFLW it's been fascinating to watch it's been fascinating to listen to yourself as well and we appreciate and I know how busy you are right now so we're going to leave it there for now but we're going to get you back on again next week when we might have a couple of more announcements to talk about and there's there's so much more we need to cover before a ball is even kicked in anger but uh, these are exciting times and these are very very important times for women in sport and for equality and AFLW is leading the way Mike and I think that's really probably the best way to finish it
2: Well uh, uh, definitely uh, very important to highlight that fact and as you say very exciting for the sport in general for the Irish players we're potentially looking at jumping from 14 players up to 20 or above at the minute and I'd be delighted to chat about the various players when the announcements come through across the next couple of weeks but yeah incredibly exciting times And uh, we look forward to season 7.0 coming in very quickly and keeping in touch with you on the big red bench.
1: And we are delighted to hear that. And we are looking forward to getting your valuable insight as well. Mike Coran, thank you so much for taking the time out of. My God, I I don't even want to think about what your schedule is like at the minute. But listen, thanks for talking to us. And we'll talk to you again next week, man.
2: Thanks so much, Jerry.
0: Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie, Cork's Red FM.
1: Resident Big Red Bench Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie is back for her weekly slot to review this past weekend's Barcelona GP. Sarah runs the rule over yet another Ferrari capitulation, Max Verstappen's seemingly unstoppable form, albeit with a bit of help from a disgruntled Sergio Perez, plus a host of other topics coming out of the Barcelona race. Sarah also looks ahead to this weekend's Monaco GP. No, it's that time of the week again, where our Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie joins us here on the Big Red Bench to review another incident-packed Barcelona Grand Prix and have a quick look ahead, of course, to next weekend's uh, Monaco GP as well. Sarah, welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you?
3: Yeah, great. Thanks very much. Today, today wasn't standing out in the 37 degree <laughs> air temperature in Barcelona for the day today.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's hard to sometimes tell that because you're so focused on when you're watching the cars and when you're watching the pit crews, but it was exceptionally hot in Barcelona. Um, the GP, of course, which Max Verstappen in the Red Bull won at uh, second place, Sergio Perez, his teammate, and we'll talk about that in a minute, coming second. George Russell coming in third for the mercedes Uh, For Mercedes-Benz in third place, getting a podium finish, Carlos Sainz Jr., Ferrari in fourth, and of course Lewis Hamilton uh, dragging that mercedes around as well to fifth place. But um, the heat that you mentioned there and the extreme heat was going to cause trouble for the drivers all weekend, um, for both the drivers, engineers, and also for the tire, um, tire manufacturers. And it's something that had been kind of earmarked before the GP ever started, Sarah
3: yeah i mean the, the track temperature today was 49 degrees which is wow. it's very very hot you know even for these um these tires which are obviously manufactured for all different types of conditions and total wolf literally just before the race started was quoted as saying whoever makes the tires melt the least will win the race and it was definitely you know we saw a lot more two and three stop strategies than we would normally see and a number of ferrari powered engines interestingly struggled um, with the heat. So we had obviously Leclerc's retirement and then Joe Guanyu, who was in an Alfa Romeo, which is also Ferrari powered, um, had to retire for the third time of the season. So it was definitely a big factor today.
1: Yeah, there was lots of three-stop strategies as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, the tyres the just, you could leave them on, but at that, at that point you're losing so much speed and you're also, you know, becomes dangerous at a point. It's worth it to just take the hit for the 19, 20 seconds that it's going to cost you to to come into the pits and change them onto something fresher.
1: Yeah, the hard compound and everything, the tires were brought this weekend. It was interesting to see how each of the teams made that choice at the start and, and looked, you know, looked to try and get a result because um, they all knew the heat and the heat was going to be a factor and not just for the tyre manufacturers as well, sir but for the drivers. I mean, this, this is a hugely difficult, it's difficult enough driving a Formula One car at full speed, mm-hmm. but in those conditions and Lando Norris an example of some a, a driver that wasn't feeling particularly well, but still took part.
3: Yeah. There was a pretty big concern for Lando even on the driver's parade. And during the day he was sort of seen sort of shying away from anything that involved any sort of interaction with people and looking for a bit of shade he thought it was extreme hay fever um but it turned out actually i've just read after the race he was diagnosed with tonsillitis so i truly cannot imagine being essentially in a pressure cooker for two hours with tonsillitis i mean absolutely fair play to him for for going through that and he did really well actually so you know i mean that's huge dedication right there
1: Certainly is the poor millionaire. How did he manage it? I know, what you mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> not fair to me, no, in all fairness, inside is nothing to be laughed at, as you said, inside the pressure cooker of you know, and purposing and. You know, mm-hmm. the speeds and everything and the twists and turns of the Catalonia circuit as well. It's not just one of those long straight ones like Manza. Mm-hmm. You know, you are working for your money that weekend, he said. But look, hopefully the tonsillitis will pass. But yeah, Norris is going to be somebody we're going to be talking about, I think, a lot more as the season progresses. And one person we also have to talk about, of course, is the new championship leader and the race winner, Max Verstappen. But as usual, and I love me a bit of uh, a bit of drama, um, <laughs> team orders tainting the win for Red Bull uh, this weekend
3: yeah and to be honest it was a bit of a weird race for Red Bull as a whole I think you know Max he had a huge issue with his DRS not operating properly for a very large portion of the race and he was stuck behind George Russell for a lot a lot longer than he would have liked there and you know some of his radio messages to be honest were kind of unacceptable he was extremely outraged at the team and he was driving you know in a way that reflected that and During that period when he was struggling, Sergio Perez actually drove a really solid race and he asked to be let past to chase Russell because he was quicker at that time. Now, the team denied that request and essentially what happened after all the pit stops had had taken place, Verstappen ended up behind Perez and essentially Perez was told, we're going to ask you to let Max through. And he did, but he wasn't happy about it. And I think that's very fair, you know, Red Bull is essentially the Max Verstappen club and anyone anyone that goes to that team is going to know that they're a second driver to him but I think everyone really felt for Sergio Perez there and he you know even he himself who's normally a very supportive teammate was was not pleased
1: It was a reality check, Sarah, wasn't it? Because we've seen this countless times in the past in Formula One championships gone by. I remember distinctly when Eddie Irvine, when Schumacher got injured uh, and Ferrari and Irvine became the number one driver. Him talking about what it was to go from being a number two driver to being a number one and that everything Mm. was yours. Everything was laid on, the parts, the the testing. And that, you know, he saw it from both sides. But I think from Perez's point of view, I really don't see where the complaints are coming from because look, as good as he is and as solid as he is and as as better as he drove on the day, as you correctly pointed out, this is Red Bull Max Verstappen.
3: It is. And unfortunately, you know, I think Max is sort of an an unusual case as well because there's been so, he's had so many driver pairings at this point because they have literally kicked people out halfway through the season because they can't compare to him. So he does have this sort of strange aura about him where if you're going to be his teammate, you better just be ready to sit back and take second place when it's required. But you are also still expected to perform really, really highly because of the the quality of carrier being given. So it's a tough assignment. And, you know, I think you're right. Um, Perez will will know his place, but I, I think definitely today he, he felt a bit disgruntled, which, you know, you can understand uh, to a certain degree.
1: I'm sure Max put a lovely arm around him afterwards and told him everything going to be just fine. He did not. He told him to stay behind and know your place. Um, now, I know you're very anxious to talk about a fantastic drive from Lewis Hamilton, but before we start the Lewis Hamilton appreciation section of the podcast, I want to talk about George Russell. Now, you might not want to talk about him as much as I do, but this guy is slowly, slowly growing on me as probably one of the big surprises. I mean, we knew he was quick. We knew he was good. You don't get the Mercedes seat unless you're quick and unless you're consistent. But mm. I'm taking aback back at just how good he's been this year and like today was another solid, you know, proper drive and as you pointed out to me uh, before we started recording, he was toying with happened there and not looking out of place.
3: 100%. He drove an absolutely amazing race and we've kind of rolled out this stat before, but it remains to be true that he's the only driver in the whole grid that has finished in the top five in every race so far this season. Like, that's fantastic consistency. And I I even joked on my Instagram yesterday about Mr. Saturday is making a return. You know, the, the, the performances he's been putting in, and particularly the scrap with Verstappen today, as you mentioned, were fantastic. And he really put it up to Verstappen. Now there was questions about whether he was kind of you know moving in the braking zone or whatever but it was looked at deemed to be fine so it's all fair racing and i think he did an absolutely fantastic job today
1: through gritted teeth she said because now our formula one expert <laughs> the floor is yours let's talk about hamilton let's give the guy some credit because i saw Magnussen and himself coming coming together and it didn't look good it takes a lot of patience and skill to bring a car that's just been punctured all the way around the circuit and back and uh, and what a drive and what a finish like let's give him some credit here all jokes aside
3: Yeah, I think credit where it's due, but I I also was very, very concerned by the radio message that he put out after that Magnussen incident, which is obviously just on lap one. He came in, pitted and went back out and he went over the radio to the team saying that they should save the engine and essentially just retire from the race. And I have never, ever heard Lewis Hamilton so defeatist. I've never genuinely shocked by it. And the commentators, you know, mentioned as well that it was completely unlike him. So I think, you know, he won driver of the day. Absolutely fantastic job to bring it up as far as he did. uh, Nearly P4, but had to give it up to, to science in the end. I am still very, very concerned. I think the mental space that he's in. You know, that message, if it was 100% genuine, shows a really, really concerning kind of element to how he's feeling about the team at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's it's not what you want to hear from a Formula 1 driver and such a multi-Formula 1 winner like Hamilton. Mm. Like, he's nothing left, really. I know there's one title, you know, one more yeah. on the record books to go, sir, and that, that would be it. But I, I agree with you. I think we spoke with this right at the start of the season. Like, he doesn't, in his own mind and his body language especially, I don't know, has he checked out? But I'd give him the benefit of the doubt on this one because I think after that knock, considering how warm it was and considering where Mercedes are, you know, they're getting there with the parts, but they're Mm -hmm. still not there yet. I can understand where he's coming from, but you're right. This is a multi, you know, Formula One world champion. What you want to hear from him is him effing and blinding and saying, get me back out, get me around the track and let's see what we can get from this. But yeah, you're right. I think, I don't know, has he mentally checked out or are we jumping the gun a little bit on it?
3: (laughs) I think he's still, interestingly, like once the team, you know, his, his engineer came back on over the radio and said, we're actually targeting P8, bearing in mind he was second last at that point. So that was pretty, seemed pretty ambitious, but look, he ended up doing even better than that. And he was pulling out multiple fastest laps. So he was, I think it's at a point where he needs that motivation from the team where previously he was very much self-motivated. He didn't need a whole lot of help there, but certainly I think they're having to rally around him a lot more than they're used to.
1: Did Max get into his head? Last point on this. Did Max actually get into his head and winning? I, like the finale was set up last year, the final Grand Prix. Mm. I, I wonder like the way Max is. And I think the fact that he hasn't been able to rattle Max. Has he gotten into his head or am I, or am, am I, am I, am No, I, I think that's a whole new Netflix series here.
3: <laughs> no, I think that's absolutely a fair point. I don't think Lewis has ever pushed himself to the extremes that he pushed himself to last year. You know, like. Mentally and physically, there were a couple of races afterwards where he looked out of it. You know, he was looking like he was going to pass out. So, one hundred percent, I think he gave it. You know, more than what he realistically had last year, and it's it's very hard to bring yourself back from that. I think, especially you know, realistically towards the end of your career.
1: Fair point. No, we finish unfortunately. Um, back <laughs> again to my beloved Ferrari. Pain, I think, is how you've described it before we started mm-hmm. regarding here, the hampered reliability issues. And for those watching today on Sky, who would have seen the power loss in, in Leclerc's car, they didn't get to hear what he was saying, because you probably heard me screaming all the way from West Park at the same <laughs> time. But I'm beginning to wonder here, Sarah. I'm beginning to wonder about Leclerc. I'm beginning to wonder about science. And I'm just mm. thinking you've got a serious piece of kit you know, to drive every, every weekend of this, of this championship. And I don't think either driver is doing as well as a Russell, um, as a Norris, Mm -hmm. uh, as a Ricardio or somebody that might actually do whatever they are. They're consistent and they bring the car home. Neither of the Ferrari drivers, no Leclerc is blameless here with the power loss. Mm -hmm. It's one thing after another weekend, after a weekend with Ferrari. And it's like everything to do with Ferrari, the hope that kills you. I think you agree with me. They've got a serious car, a proper aerodynamics but i don't think they've got the drivers to do what they need, what they could be doing
3: it's strange i was thinking about this today and um, i have an open question as to whether it's a situation where they can't handle the car and like the ability of the car or whether it's the pressure to perform that's actually hurting them and i really don't know the answer to that right now i think you know leclerc yes he was blameless today but in qualifying yesterday essentially max's power loss was the only thing that saved his blushes because he had, again, made a mistake. And, you know, Carlos Sainz at the start today hit anti-stall, slipped down the pecking order. He went off at turn four on lap seven. You know, I think there really is this sort of recurring question about Ferrari this year where there's so much potential there, but they're just the drivers are just, there's something missing. And like I say, I don't know whether it's the, you know, the expectation that's being put on them, or whether it is that they don't quite have the skills to manage the car. I don't personally believe that it's that 100%. So it's really, really interesting. Um, but certainly, you know, reliability doesn't kind of help to answer that question either.
1: I think that's fair. I and mean, that's a fair assessment of the situation. But as a Ferrari to fan, I, 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 <laughs> I reserve the right to, you know, shoot my mouth off and lose my rag completely <laughs> driver <laughs> before the next Grand Prix. And that next Grand Prix is fast approaching and it is one of the, one I, one I look forward to probably the most on the calendar every year it's one of it's the Grand Prix that I fell in love with as a child when I first saw it and that's Monaco and hmm. from your point of view Sarah we, like we, we can't really go in depth into it now but what are the kind of things you're looking forward to Max is on a roll here now he'll want to he'll want to dominate here he'll want pole position he went fastest lap and I think he has the character to do that
3: he does I personally I, I agree with you I have great know fun memories of of Monaco from when I was a kid watching F one and unfortunately over the last couple of years it's become known as the Great Procession, um amongst F one fans and I think it's a real shame because it used to be so exciting and now it really is generally like the grid kind of determines the outcome of the race with the exception of a couple of crashes here and there um bringing in DNFs. But I I wonder, again, you know, Barcelona this year, we're expecting it not to be very interesting, but it was in the end. So I'm hoping beyond hope that Monaco will surprise us and um, and pull out a bit, a bit of entertainment because I think the last couple of years it has definitely fallen a bit flat.
1: Yes, I agree with you. It is a procession, but it's the best looking procession in the most expensive <laughs> procession in the history of any kind of sport. So again, it's the glamour, it's the glitz, it's all the stuff that goes around the side of it. Then when the race starts, you kind of forget about all that. But yeah. yeah, I think the qualifying and and probably the, the Friday and the Saturday would be the most important days of this GP, which is disappointing, as you said, because it's it's, it's such an iconic uh, setting and we would like to think that there'd be some drama. But then, as you said, we've had drama uh, this weekend in Catalunya when I didn't think we would either. So mm-hmm. who knows? But, um, Sarah McKenzie, thanks once again for joining us on the Big Red Bench to bring us uh, through all things Formula One. Where can we find you online?
3: Yeah, so this week actually marks my one year anniversary since I started my YouTube channel. So I'm going to be doing a Q&A for this week's video. I'm collecting questions on my Instagram. So if you head over to MacGram underscore, um, you can submit a question for me there. It's M-A-C-K-G-R-A-M underscore.
1: I have 20 Ferrari questions winging their way <laughs> uh, Congratulations on a year uh, on YouTubing. I know how much time and effort it takes to put in and the passion you have for Formula One. So congratulations on that. Thank and you. we look forward to hearing from you again next week on the Big Red Bench on your weekly slot here on Formula One.
3: Fantastic. Thanks, Chair.
1: The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 pm. I was delighted to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench by our resident Munster Women's Rugby expert, provincial chairperson Wendy Keenan, and special guest, Munster Women's Rugby Development Officer Ken Imbush, to talk about another successful Munster Women's Rugby season and why the number of young participants continues to grow at an encouraging rate. Now, it is a real uh, thrill to welcome back our regular weekly Munster Women's Rugby slot with our. Uh, con- our contributor, our expert, and newly crowned Munster Hockey uh, Masters champion, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, welcome back.
0: Thanks very much, and we're absolutely delighted after last week's win.
1: Yes, congratulations. We did a segment last week in your absence uh, where we spoke at length about Munster Masters Hockey and it's something we're going to return to, but well done on that and and fair play to you and your teammates. But our special guest this week um, on our regular Munster Women's Rugby slot is a very important person in the grand scheme of things and everything that's happening in the background at the moment with Munster Women's uh, Rugby, and that is the Women's Rugby Development Officer, uh, Ken Imbush. Ken, how are you?
4: I'm not too bad, Gerard. Thanks a million for having me.
1: Yeah, it's very good of you to join us. I know how busy you are, even though the season, you would imagine, is winding down uh, in terms of the interprovincials. We're reaching the Uh, certainly in the men's side of things but from the women's perspective you're busy all year round I'm just having a a quick look down through some of the remit and some of the work that you do can you give us just a broad overview um, of what your development uh, officer role entails in Munster
4: yeah no problem Um, it it really starts with the the club and schools game where we um, we try to get out and offer as much support uh, to those clubs not only looking to start uh, girls rugby but that are are working away and and may have been working away uh for a long time as you know in in uh in in club land and school land, it's it's ever reliable on on the work of volunteers so there, unfortunately or or fortunately in, in in some cases then uh there's a there's a bit of a turnover in terms of those volunteer bodies but um it's generally offering as much support across a, a, a many range of Spectrums from volunteers right down to, to player coach development club development and 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 whatever else generally that the, the clubs need um, in in terms of schools it's it's something very similar but it's it's a midweek thing where we again we offer support in terms of uh, coaching sessions we have uh, a part time staff force that um, of of women's development officers that that go in and out of the schools and, and conduct rugby sessions in terms of helping them again. Either start rugby or, or continue to grow it within the school, so yeah, that's really where the the schools and club stuff kind of comes in but on, um and the added on to that then is is uh, those programs and those uh, schedules are are used uh, for another angle in in terms of player identification uh, so that we can spot players and and with potential and and uh, a possible future to to make it to the next level i e kind of representative development squads so we we use those platforms to ID the players and and, and then invite them off the back of their, their games with their clubs and schools into the, the regional development programme with a, a view to hopefully them going on over the next couple of years and representing Munster at age grade level and and, and fingers crossed for them hopefully on to, to representing Munster at senior adult level and 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 on to Ireland. Yeah.
1: Um, Just on that pathway, and you've explained it very well, Wendy, we've spoken before about this and the importance of it and the different routes that a young girl, should she take up an interest in rugby, should she like it and should she become very good at it, um, that the pathways now, um, both from schools and clubs, are present and the work that Ken and all the other development officers are doing has never been more important.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ken and Willie, we have two development officers um, in the province, are just doing Trojan work along with two participation officers in, you know, ensuring that we have those players to take those pathways. And as I mentioned before, you know, trying to get around the province of Munster is is a difficult task, but they're just doing Trojan work. And um, look, it's great to see the dividends. We mentioned the Give It a Try programme in the last couple of weeks. That's, you know, currently happening in the clubs. And, you know, we're seeing all over social media and we're seeing their registrations this year that some of the clubs are up about 40, 50, 60 girls turning up at the club, you know what I mean, to to give rugby a try. And uh, that's just, you know, testament to all the good work that's been done.
1: I can just on that, I mean, am I wrong? I've said it to Wendy before and she's agreed with me, just on the ground level, have you ever seen the numbers in terms of the interest levels for young girls in rugby? I know there's always been an interest and there may not always have been the pathways and just the accessible accessibility to facilities that's there now, which is fantastic over the last couple of years. But have you noticed an uptake, a bigger uptake and an upsurge in the interest across different age groups uh, in your line of work?
4: Yeah, we certainly have. I mean, uh, schools is a prime example this year, um, off the back of I suppose the the great work that the age grade committee and and um, and Kate McCarthy especially in terms of of kind of putting those um, uh, platforms in place. I suppose for for girls to be playing rugby, uh, schools has grown massively in terms of participation numbers. We've gotten to a place this year where we're we're interacting with with thirty odd schools, and and we've gotten to a point where. Where twenty six schools, uh, I believe, off the top of my head, have been represented across sixteens and eighteens in our emerging schools program. Um, and then, off the back of that, we've we've been uh, working hard over the last number of years to to introduce a, a girls' schools cup, and 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 it came to fruition this year with two fantastic finals in Mosgrove Park. Um, and and that's for fifteen aside. So we've kind of developed the schools game. Uh, thankfully, after the massive interest that was there. Uh, to go from from under fourteen level right up onto to rather under fourteen level um and sevens and eleven aside uh right up to the fifteen aside game where where we're uh, competing in in tandem with the boys for Munster schools cup honors
1: and just on that ken we we would have uh, featured this Wendy would have done fantastic work on featuring those finals, but how important from not even from an optics point of view but from the girls that took part in it getting to run out. At Musgrave Park, what a moment for a young girl to get that opportunity
4: absolutely fantastic i mean it's it, it's testament again back to the to the volunteers and the the structures that were put in place in the schools in 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 early doors that that those schools that that contested this year's uh senior and junior schools cup have all come off our emerging schools thing so it was not, it wasn't a an overnight thing but it it, it really as I said earlier, came to fruition when with those girls running out in Mosgrath Park for on the big day, representing their schools in a, in something that had never done been done before, and, and going out to compete for the, the very first Munster Girls Schools Cup. It was a, a fantastic occasion, and crowds were were uh, very vocal and, and and very supportive, we'll put it that way. But they they certainly added to the occasion and made loads of noise, and the atmosphere was was absolutely superb. So we'd hope off the back of this and and, and, and other schools that, that may have been close to, to entering, but, but may not have had the, the numbers or the, the, the volunteer force or, or just general resources would, would, uh, would put their hands up and, and enter in because it's, it really is a, a superb thing to be part of.
1: Wendy, how do you build on this? Because it's been a monumental 12 months. I mean, it's fantastic. The groundwork and the foundation and all the work that's been done on the ground by William and certainly by Ken is clear. Um, you obviously need more if you could, if you could get them in more development officers. But how do you as uh, an organisation, Monster Women's Rugby, build on this heading into the next 12 months?
0: I suppose we've you know, put a lot of energy into making sure that there's sustainable structures in place. Um, underneath all of these teams so that they, you know, can feed through from underneath. So, the, you know, the senior girls who are in, in, in sixth year this year who are moving on, you know, there must be girls underneath coming through. So it's, it's all about creating those models and supporting those models and supporting those volunteers on the ground that are actually doing the work. Um, we have the easier job of setting up the models really, I suppose, in that regard. But um, look, it is really important that we stay in touch with all the clubs and all the schools and all those volunteers uh, and bring on new volunteers. And that's going to be the new challenge for us, really, is if we've got a growth in numbers, we need more people on the ground, volunteers um, volunteer to do the work at the club and school level. So, and it's about educating those people, you know, with, it, with the coaching courses, et cetera, uh, in their volunteer roles. So that's our challenge, you know what I mean, for the coming season and, and one that we'll look, we'll look forward to a little break over the summer, but in the background, you know what I mean, we will be working hard in relation to that.
1: Indeed, I've no doubt that you will. I don't think there's going to be much of a break for any of you, and this call kind the of way things are going. But that's a good thing. Just to finish up, um, Ken, from your role of being a development officer, like it's clearly something that you're passionate about, and that is a very rewarding one. What would you say to somebody that's thinking of getting involved at that level of being an officer or being a dev- and helping out a monster? And what are the rewards, you know, at the end of it? And also. I know from you work on the ground level a lot with a lot of kids day-to-day in schools and in clubs. What would you say to a parent who's a bit iffy about sending their daughter to play rugby for the first time? Why would you encourage them to play this brilliant sport?
4: Well, look, it's, 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 it's um, fantastic opportunities there for for the whole team sport environment in, insofar as we've seen off of the back of Give It A Troy. Now, it's been running for, uh, for a few years now, and we've seen off the back of it that there's there's fan, fantastic camaraderie like we're getting to a stage now where girls that that would have started rugby in give it a try some years ago are, are moving into under 18s and have stayed with with the same girls and the same team and and in, in many occasions the same coaches going forward so it's 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 a fantastic thing and I'm sure Wendy will tell you there from her days knocking about as a, a rugby player she often still reminds us all of the the, the fantastic occasions <laughs> and the fantastic stories that they've had and and, and many of their, their ventures and how well they've soldiered together. So there's all of that, that, that goes with it, not just the, the team environment, but it's the lifelong friendships and memories and, and things you make out of it. Um, that are, they're absolutely fantastic. And, and I suppose um, a prime example of that is that fantastic event that uh, Wendy and the women's committee ran with Munster Rugby a few weeks ago to, to just showcase everything that's good about women's rugby and the amount of uh, I suppose the amount of people firstly that turned up in support of us um, that it just goes to show how how many people are still involved even though they're not involved so they always have that special place in their heart for for Munster rugby when they do get involved but look it's it's one of the the safest sports you can play provided that you you uh you adhere to to what you're being coached and and, and what you're being uh, advised to do and and look, it's, it, it's, it's just a fantastic way of, of, of getting out and, and, and playing a sport.
1: Uh, that's can I add to that,
0: sorry. Just, you just, can,
1: just, just before you were going to get in there, Wendy, I was just going to say to Ken, you were very vague about some of the, uh, the, the days you played rugby when I asked you about them and some of the aftermatch exploits, but we can come back to that in another podcast <laughs> and maybe, Ken.
4: Certainly another podcast. sorry, I interrupted you, <laughs> Wendy. <Yeah. laughs>
1: carry on, sorry.
0: There's just two elements I think are really important. And, and Ken talks about giving a try and, you know, people might be being iffy. Playing sports for, you know, young girls that we talk about, or even young boys, it's about fun and enjoyment. And that's, they're the two key elements. And if, if a child can go out and have fun and enjoy and look forward to going to training the following week um, and engaging in a sport, really, that's what it's all about. Uh, and, and that's the core to everything that we do is about fun and enjoyment. And, and um, you know, we will keep, keep doing that. So that's the important element that I just wanted to add in there.
1: And as always, you say it uh, very positively and very passionately, and it's great to talk to two people um, just about their chosen sport and why they love it so much and why they, how well you promote it. So uh, as ever, thank you very, very much for coming on. Wendy, it's good to have you back um, on your weekly slot here on The Big Red Bench. And a really special thanks as well to Ken Inbush, Bush, uh, Women's Rugby Development Officer for Munster. Uh, and keep, keep up the great work, and we may catch up with you again not before too long. Thank you for your time. Thanks, William. Thank, thank you, Derek.
0: The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from six pm.
1: Cork head to Killarney for this weekend's Munster LGFA Senior Football Championship Final with Kerry. I caught up with Cork and Monarby captain Maire O'Callaghan to preview the big showdown. But first, here's my interview with Cork and O'Donovan Rossa senior footballer Laura O'Mahony on her playing club and intercounty career, representing UCC at the O'Connor Cup. What lies in store for Cork in 2022? And much more. Now we're delighted to be joined here on the big red bench by O'Donovan Rossa and Cork senior footballer Laura O'Mahony, who is here to preview uh, this weekend's Munster final uh, with Cork taking on Kerry, Down, and Kilkenny, uh, and a quick look back over the win over Waterford and a few other things as well. Laura, you're very welcome to the big red bench. How are you?
5: Good, thanks, Jerry. How are you?
1: I'm really good. Um, it's a busy time, he said, for in the in the media side of things, but my God, is it busy for the players, and especially for inter county players. You and the Cork team, once the National League was finished, had a six-week block of training, six, seven-week block of training, which was, I would imagine, very intense. But it was obviously very positive because you played particularly well against Waterford in the Munster semi-final uh, down at Fraharfield last weekend. But from your point of view, um, a new manager coming in at the start of the year uh, in Shane Ranaen, um, what has that transition been like from the player's point of view? and, And how much have you gotten to know and see a bit more of Shane over the last six weeks?
5: Um, I think it was quite hard at the start, you know, even for Shane and his backroom team themselves, just kind of getting in. It might almost have been intimidating for him just to come in, you know, coming on the back of Efi and Eamon as well. But I think it couldn't have gone smoother. Like he's been so relaxed, so nice, even like the, how approachable he is. is just, it's, it's really good attribute that he has and his backroom team as well. And I think, Even regardless if we had um, Shane or the new manager, the six weeks of training really did help us, and I think having Shane for the new, the new six weeks as well was really good. You know, he brought we got to see more of his coaching style and his backroom team's coaching style, and it gave us time to get to know him and to get to know his backroom team. But as well for for them to get to know us, you know, there was a few new names that they didn't know as well as we didn't know. So I think it it was a good time, um, almost to. To get to know each other and to settle things down,
1: and definitely, and you've done that. Definitely, you could see the difference if, as I've watched all your matches this year and been at all your matches this year, but um, the difference in the intensity and the fitness levels. I mean, that's a good Waterford team you beat in the Munster semi-finals. That's a team that ran you to three points down at MTU in the final round of the league. Now I know it's championship, but it must have been very gratifying for the players to just to put in that performance to score four ten, and to and you know to to really boss the game from start to finish.
5: Yeah, exactly. Look. first championship game everyone's going to have a bit of nerves and things and I think we did show that as well like I know we beat Waterford and the first 30 minutes definitely where Nick and Tuck like they were they kept up with us and only for the goals it would have been almost a drawing game and I think what helped us was the six weeks of training you know like the running we did with Paul for the six weeks I'm not gonna lie it was really hard and everyone found it hard but you almost feel a sense of reward after doing it. And I think we found that um, on Sunday. Like, I know, again, there's things that we were disappointed with, but we have that week and a half now before the monster final to, to fix those things.
1: Indeed, you do, and you mentioned the new management team, and um, obviously Paul Howard from from there uh, being one of the main coaches. But you've got some familiar faces from your West Cork experience as well, Diddy Enright from Clanakilty. But uh, Miriam Forbes from Dunmanway, one of the uh, Donnies, and um, one of the flow um, members of the backroom team. Uh, how how have they settled in uh, with yourselves and the players?
5: Yeah good Um, I know Miriam was involved underage with Cork um, so she probably knew more of the younger girls but I've met her along the lines when we've been playing Donnie's a few times so we weren't strangers at all and as well with Dinny I've had him at West Cork for a few years when we drew against Warren Abbey and things like that so I knew Dinny personally as well but they, they fit in extremely well Do you know they're so good everyone loves them they're really nice people so the first thing is that they're really nice people and then you get past whether they're a good coach or not, <laughs> which
1: of course they are. Saying all the right things, though. I have to. Yeah. They're, they're going to be listening to this. Um, <laughs> before we carry on talking about Cork, unfortunately, I have to bring up one other subject because I haven't spoken to you since then. But this year's Yeaplay Ladies HEC hit, hit O'Connor Cup final disappointment for UCC losing out to UL well by uh, a point. I know how much you enjoy uh, playing for, for UCC, and I know how much you know the O'Connor Cup means. To you know, and I also know also it's not your last year, but that was been a really. Um, Disappointing, obviously, an outcome for you, but uh, something to target and bounce back from uh, next year.
5: Yeah, I think you know, as you said, it was really disappointing, and a few of the girls, like Emma Cleary and so, they're not going to be there next year, so it was it was tougher for those. But I think the main thing to take out of it is that, like all other teams, wrote us off going into the weekend. Like they almost thought that we were just filling up a gap, filling up the semi-final spot. And I think we proved that firstly in the semi-final against DCU, you know, people like even the commentators in the match were kind of saying like, oh, they they shocked us all kind of thing. But like we knew ourselves and we believed in ourselves that we could beat them. And I think then going into um the UL game in the final, like we played them in the league and in one of the round-robin games and they had beaten us comprehensively. But I think going into that match we believed in ourselves and I know we still lost it by a point but I think if even if we had two more minutes or anything like that we could have beaten them if not drawn the game so I think the main thing is that a lot of the girls that were there this year will be there again next year I think there's something like 10 or 11 girls that were on the starting team that will be there again next year and that's something positive to look at as well and then on top of it all the girls that will be coming into UCC next year as well.
1: And uh, despite the defeat, I mean, obviously you drown your sorrows. I mean, that's the one beauty of the, of the college game that you get to meet and play with players from outside from different clubs, but also from different counties. And there's an enjoyment factor to it. I mean, you you're know, your students, you know, it is it is taken seriously and taken very seriously. But um, I would imagine as well that, that that aspect of it, I've yet to meet a player. And I can see a nodding away there that the social and the camaraderie and what comes afterwards is just as important
5: yeah exactly like even Kellyanne now from Waterford like we were playing against her at the weekend and like you'd see Sarah Leahy going up to her after the game and giving her a hug you know that type of thing and next week we'll be playing the likes of Julie O'Sullivan Mm. and Mary O'Connell you know we've played alongside them for the last few months and I know we won't be friends on the pitch but we've made so much memories with UCC that we can still play with them next year and things
1: good stuff um I'm always, you know, loath to mention it for fear that I, I I cause it in my head, but you are injury free, which I'm delighted to see because you've had enough of it. We've, we've written and we've interviewed, we've spoken about your injuries in the past. I don't want to focus on them, Laura, but it's great because you were flying it against Waterford and you've been doing really well all year. And it must be a lovely feeling to be over all of those injuries now and just able to concentrate on the football and go full pelt.
5: Yeah, exactly. Look, you said it, I missed 11 months was it 2020, say to 2021, where I missed most of the league, all of championship nearly. And I think it was just coming off the back where I was getting to the mature stage where I was starting to not really feel the nerves of championship, not really feel the nerves of league. And then COVID came and I thought almost we could, that would help, but then got injured. But yeah, like you said, Jared, I think I've never actually played proper championship from the beginning. Um, I was either just too young and leaving cert or else I was injured, like you said. So to to play my first championship match properly, we'll say mm-hmm. against Waterford was a really sweet feeling. All right. And I think I'm at that age now where like I want to be playing and I want to be on that starting fifteen.
1: Yeah, and so you should be. And you've earned your place. And you've earned your place in a very difficult and uh, a very competitive area in the half back line in the Cork team. I mean, last week against Waterford, there was yourself and Melissa Duggan from Donnie's an either wing. And then you'd Mauro Callan back in there, your captain from Orn Abbey But um, one of the players that isn't there and won't be there for the coming year is someone I know you know well. And you would have been competing with her in, the, in that back line. That's Erica O'Shea, because uh, the McCroom player, obviously, at this stage, everyone knows she's heading to Australia uh, to take part in the AFLW and become a professional over there and see how that goes for her. Can I ask you, first of all, uh, just your thoughts on hearing Erica was going and going now? And is it something down the line, he said very carefully, uh, that would interest you yourself? Because you've got similar um, traits and similar attributes in terms of footballers, and, you know, as they them down the line at some point might actually suit you.
5: Um, yeah, to address firstly her leaving, I think everyone was disappointed, you know, losing Erica. She was an all star last year. She was a really strong part of our team. But at the same time, no one was going to begrudge her from taking the position. You know, she's young. She's the youngest player to be going over. And I think she should grab the opportunity with both hands, just as long as she looks after herself over there and things. And all we want really is what she wants for herself and what's best for her. So I think if that's what she wants to do, more more luck to her. And we'll be supporting her on. And I think she'll be doing the same for us over on the other side of the world. But... Um, for myself personally I'm not actually I've never actually thought about it um I would say that I'm a very very homebred though I like coming home on my my weekends in college even though I'm up in Cork um but I have never thought about it but maybe but at the moment no anyway and I don't see myself going for another couple of years if I was even asked
1: Okay, that's a fair answer and fair play to you. And I won't bring it up again until the next time we talk to you. But uh, no, it's a fair, I mean, it, it's it's the kind of question that every uh, intercounty county footballer is going to get asked now at some point, considering the expansion in Australia and the fact that I think, I think Eric is going to be a big star over there. We'll wait and see. Um, but look, it's a question for another time, but I think you've answered it diplomatically, and your manager will be delighted uh, to hear that as well, I'm sure. Um, let's look ahead because the Munster final, uh, you beat Waterford, uh, 410 to 112 in the semi final, uh, down in Friarfield. That has set up a, a clash against the old rivals, Kerry, but it's in Killarney and it's, it's on before the men's final, um, which I think is a good move. It's a good move all over the country, it's happening in each of the provinces. You've got the the Meads will be playing before the Dublin and the Kildare uh, men's final as well in Crow Park. it's These are these are positive moves for ladies football, Laura, but stripping that away for a second, this is a Kerry team that I saw myself in the semi-final I was reporting on. It. They were really impressive, really, really impressive against a depleted Tipperary team. But besides all of that, you know the challenge that's coming here. It's You're going into Kerry's backyard and they would only love to get that scalp. So this is a game where you're going to have to be honest. and like you have to be anyway as an inter-county player, but how much are the players looking forward to it? Because this is something that you would have missed out on due to COVID, like a full house going into, well, not necessarily full house, but a big crowd by the time the second half comes around in Killarney up against the old enemy. I mean, these are the kind of days you live for.
5: Yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly there, do you know, like down into Clarney, Um, they're probably gunning for us because, you know, they're coming off the back of a really successful league campaign and obviously beating Tip comprehensively as well. But like you said that's exactly the type of games you want to play that's what the six weeks block was for the league for trying new players it's all for these type of games and us and Kerry we're we're not strangers by any means so I think we're going to know each other and they're definitely want to be going for us as
1: well. Yes, and I can uh, I can understand that. And I, I can I, I can see that your feet will be firmly on the ground because of your manager and your management team. And that I think they know the challenge that's coming, but it's a good challenge. It's, it's If you want to be successful in the All-Ireland Championship, Laura, these are the kind of games that Cork need to go and they need to win. Um, and you know that yourselves. But look, it, it promises to be an absolutely cracking game. We're going to be there for the big red bench on the day at self-reporting. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, and seeing how you get on in that match. And thanks very much for uh, taking the time to speak to us today.
5: Thanks very much,
1: Ger, for having now, me. Now, delighted to be joined by the Cork senior captain, Marlall Callan from Moorn Abbey, ahead of this weekend's Cork and Kerry Munster final, Donald Killarney. Looking ahead to what should be a very unique and interesting occasion, to put it mildly. Maura, first of all, how have preparations gone in the build-up to the Munster final?
6: Yeah, they're going really well. Um, You know, I suppose we're just looking at things we can work on from the game against Waterford and also I suppose the management are doing some homework on Kerry as well then to identify, you know, who needs particular looking after and who are the top scorers in their game against Tip. So all that is going well and, you know, we're looking forward to the game ahead.
1: Um, You had six weeks coming into the Waterford game and it showed in that performance down in Fraher Field. The training in between, I would imagine, has been no less intense.
6: Yeah, 100. percent We've had a good week's training session now, and and we'll have another week again before the Kerry game. But yeah, look, we had we had a good block of training, and you know I suppose there are a few cobwebs in the Waterford game, but you know hopefully they're blown out now, and we'll be ready for road again for the Munster final.
1: Uh, from a player's point of view, there's nothing like playing a championship game. You can do all the training as hard as it is under Shane and his team, but getting out in the pitch and putting in a performance. I know there's things to work on, but you must have been happy just to get out of there with the win and get the season up and running.
6: I mean it was a long wait and like even you know you can't really replicate the championship feeling you know in training like you can train as hard as you possibly can but then you know you have to count for the nerves on the day and things like that you know it can be slightly draining too so there's it's brilliant to get that game out of the way even as well and you know just hopefully build up a bit of steam now Um, so we're looking forward to that now next weekend.
1: Yeah, heading down to Killarney, away from home and into a big stadium is where you should be playing, of course. But um, the fact that it's the same day as the Munster men's final, not as a gap in between the games, it's good to see the provincial finals all over the country being played on the same day.
6: Yeah, it is great. 100% 100% and it's fantastic to be playing at Fitzgerald Stadium as well, while I suppose it does mean there'll probably be a big Kerry crowd there, so we're not too happy about that, but look, it is great to get out there, and as you said, the two men, men's and women's to be playing on the same day and all the provincial things is great as well, it's going in the right direction
1: um, Kerry, were very impressive in their win over Tipperary in the semi-final albeit a kind of a weakened Tipperary team, we're missing a few, you would have seen, I would imagine, from the footage of that game, just the challenge that lies in front of you this is a serious outfit
6: yeah, 100%. I mean, Kerry are on the back of a great win in the league as well, and then after overcoming Tipperary, um, I do feel like we are, we understand the task at hand. They'll be, you know, they are a really strong outfit, and they've got really fast, fit, skillful players all over the pitch. And look, it's never easy against Kerry. We've had serious battles over the years, you know, coming out the right and wrong side of it. So it'll. I expect no less again at the weekend.
1: From your own personal point of view, full match under the belt, the last day down in Farher Field. You look fully fit, no injury concerns. And uh, captain of the side, a real honour for you.
6: Yeah, it, it's a great honour to, I, I suppose, play the first championship game. You know, um, it was a really enjoyable experience aside from you know the nerves and I suppose the shaky second half. But um, yeah, it, as in, it was great to get sixty minutes under the belt as well. It felt like it had been a long time since you know full competitive game. So I was delighted to come out um, injury free. I'm nearly scared to say that now. Touchwood, wood. <laughs> me may continue. But yeah, it was great to get the full the full game under the belt.
1: It gets really intense now because it's game after game. This is what you want as an inter-county player, but you've had that gap, but it's going to be match after match, straight out of the Munster, irrespective of the result and into an All-Ireland Championship. You've seen the fixtures go up. I know you're not looking beyond this weekend, but the fact that you're in the throes of it now, this is where you want to be at this time of the year.
6: Yeah, 100%. I mean, as players, that's how you want it to be, like, you know, game, bang, game, bang, you know, maybe max two-week gap. You know, it's it's so nice just getting into championship football like that now I you know if you are injured it's it's a bit of a pain because you're like struggling to come back but you know if you are injury free it's so nice that's exactly where you want to be championship football you know during the summer lovely suns shining down mm. on a, a hard pitch and you know game after game it's great
1: Have you played in this Killarney pitch before?
6: Um, I don't think so um, I'm actually not sure if any of the yeah. panel have played there before so look that'll be a great new experience to add to the list as well you know playing Kerry down in Fitzgerald Stadium
1: yeah, and look, there's going to be bite. There's always bite between the two of you. They're coming off a, a National League winning campaign and you're obviously doing very, very well as well since the, since the break. But just something to look forward to and hopefully some fans will come out and support you as well.
6: Yeah, 100% it'd be great if there is, you know, a good Cork crowd down there. While I don't think it'll match the Kerry crowd that will be there, but, you know, that's, not, that's only natural being down in their home stadium. But, yeah, it'd be great to have a good Cork support down there with us.
1: The Big Red Bench was in Parky Ring for last weekend's epic All-Ireland LGFA Under-14 Platinum Final between Cork and Kerry. The Kingdom edged an absolute classic 5-12 to 5-10 thanks to an injury-time, extra-time winning goal. I interviewed Kerry manager Gerald Sullivan, Cork manager JJ DC and Kerry players Jamie Lee O'Connor and Emily O'Sullivan shortly after the final whistle. I am here with two members of the successful Kerry All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum Championship winning team, Captain Jamie Lee O'Connor and Emily O'Sullivan. First of all to you Jamie Lee, congratulations, what a fantastic day but What a match. 5-12 to 5-10 after extra time. What was it like to play in?
7: Oh, jeez, it was um, very rough now. I thought we'd lost a couple of times. When the ref blew the whistle, I was, like, gone. I thought we'd lost. I was near tears, but I'm so happy that we won, and I'm so proud that the girls never actually gave up. And we played a great match, and I'm very proud of everyone.
1: You would have played Cork in the Munster final, so you knew what was coming. But yeah. what a fantastic match. I mean, there was nothing in it, as you said. You looked like you'd been beaten and you just kept coming back. You must be very proud of all the girls' effort on your panel.
7: Yeah, I am. Um, none of them gave up. Like, And I thought we, were lo- we lost, but then a good few girls kicked something over the bar. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm so glad that we won today. And I couldn't have asked them to play any better.
1: Uh, Emily, for you, what, it was like to, what was it like to play in an all Ireland final at Parky Ring in a stadium like this?
7: Um, it was absolutely unbelievable, it was something you've, any person dreams of their whole life and especially to be playing with a group of girls who I'm so close with, it was amazing.
1: You've been together a long time and you've been through a lot this year but to come out the right side of an all-earned final must feel fantastic.
7: It feels amazing because we've grown so much as a team and I couldn't be happier.
1: And what about your management team, how good have they been to you this year?
7: They've been out of this world, Like I couldn't have asked from, any more from them, they've helped us so much.
1: And your teammates, have they all been nice and good to you? And no fooling or anything like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
5: bit, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and just finally, we'll give the final word to you, Jamie Lee. This is a fantastic day for, for you, for your club and for your family. But what does it mean for Kerry under 14s going forward?
7: I don't know how to explain it, but it's just a great honour and to like captain all the greatest girls on the team. It's just amazing.
1: I don't blame you for not knowing what to say after that, but listen to both of you. Congratulations and well done. Fantastic success. Thank
7: you. Thank you. Ger,
1: hearty congratulations. That's a fantastic victory, but a fantastic advert for not only Kerry ladies football, but Cork ladies football as well. 100%. It was an amazing game. An amazing game of
8: football from start to finish. The score taking, the combi- combination play by both Cork and ourselves. Like, I'd say there was four games in it nearly. The Cork had it won, we had it last, we had it won, they had it last, and we just pipped it in the end. And we know that they peppered our goals on a few occasions. We could have had goals, but as and I said it during the week, ladies' football is probably the more pure game to watch and enjoy now than maybe some of the men's games, but. That was an exhibition today by both teams. A pleasure to be involved
1: in it, to be honest with you. Very gracious of you. Um, did you learn an awful lot from the Munster final? Because you, you should have won that day, perhaps. We probably felt we should have won that day.
8: But then Cork's experience told Cork are a great team. that pipped it. But we learned a lot from ourselves that day. I think we believed in ourselves after going home from Mallow that evening that we were as good enough we were good enough to possibly win in All Ireland and after I think the turning point came from us when we beat our man the third round Robin game above in Port Leash to get into the quarter final against Mayo. Otherwise we would have been facing Cork and I don't think we were ready for Cork at that stage, whereas the quarterfinal and semi final brought us on enough to feel we could challenge Cork here today. But it was very very tight margins There's no point saying otherwise well, You wouldn't be using this as
1: an advert for becoming a manager would you? 100% out of my heart
8: I have just felt In it a good, it's a good No no but the other side of it the determination the girls showed their fitness their work rate we pulled girls off they went on for a short time we just had to make changes and they all appreciate that it's a group of 32 that's what will win you in our Ireland and it may not win you in our Ireland either but the commitment they gave us was phenomenal and there's no point saying it without mentioning the parents their parents have absolutely been
1: fantastic and clubs they've been a credit to all of them really and just finally because I know you want to go and enjoy this what does this do for underage and ladies football Kerry ladies seniors football is on a high at the moment but what will this do not alone for your panel but for future panels I think any young girl
8: that's picking up a football tomorrow morning or Monday morning and sees that the All Ireland is won by Kerry for the first time in eight years at on the 14 level that's going to send out a great message we hope get girls playing get girls involved and I believe that the, the quality of players in the county is just a little bit more nurturing and, and we're on the way up with the help of God, hopefully. Well,
1: from everybody in the big red bench, congratulations and all the best to you, Joe. Thanks a million, much appreciated. I am here with the Cork LGFA under-14 manager, uh, JJ DC, following the Rebels 5-12 to 5-10 after extra time, all Ireland under-14 final loss today in Park Disappointment for Cork, but JJ, unbelievable pride at the way your team played, not just today, but throughout the whole year.
9: Oh, absolutely, Joe. You know, look, we're... We're gutted to lose the game, but you know at the same time, we've unearthed a few few super young footballers that will uh, no doubt go on to represent Cork at under 16 level and beyond. And uh, you know we're 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 very proud of 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 the way they conducted themselves and the effort they put in over the year. We can have no complaints about that. It just wasn't to be today.
1: And that's the thing, I'm not even going to ask you to try and summarise a game that was 5-12 to 5-10, that ebbed and flowed, that looked like you did one, looked like you did lost, that you kept coming back. put that effort and keep coming back, and on a fantastic pitch as well, you must, as I said, unbelievably proud of your players, but this bodes well for the future, even though I know it doesn't feel like it right now, maybe, for some of them.
9: No, it doesn't feel like it at the moment for some of them, but the world won't end here. Um, they're super. They're, they're, they're playing a nice nice style of football. They, you, know, you know, they 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 battled to stay in that match at times um, th- we gained control of that game a couple of times but we couldn't keep control of it and in the end you know I suppose Kerry were probably better balanced than us on the day and, and they took their goal chances I know we were very unlucky we hit the post four times I think and uh, credit to their goalie she made eight saves as well so you know that's the fine margins in a game like that it went down to the, literally the last kick of the game so you know that's what, that's what happened in the Munster final that's what we were expecting today and we just didn't didn't get over the line today and that's that's all there is. Sort of
1: and just finally, look, I, I know it's hard for you to appreciate it, but the quality of football that both teams play, but specifically, Cork, as you said, the quality of moving the ball at pace, it was fantastic to watch. It was a fantastic spectacle and a great advert for ladies football. I know it won't feel like much right now, but it does give you and the management team and the players hope going into next year and beyond.
9: Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. The the quality they played there today was was, was fantastic. Um, you know, the 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 difference in standard in today's game and to what both ourselves and Varus the Kerry as well were playing at the start of the year, you know, they've they've come on and come on uh, unbelievably well over the over the course of the season. And look it's it's a disappointing end, but you know, it's it's there's a lot of positives to take out of it, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of girls will go back to their clubs better footballers than they came to us back in in October, November and you know we're very proud of that, we're very proud of of, um, the contribution that that we can make to to those girls and their development as footballers and you know it's disappointing for them but playing in a big game like this will stand to them in years to come you know today was their their first All-Ireland final and I'm sure for a lot of those girls it won't be their last
1: and look, it's been a fantastic journey. We've been covering you since the very beginning, since the trials. I can't believe it's back October, November up to this point. It didn't end the way you would have wanted, JJ DC, but a fantastic season nonetheless. And thank you from everybody at the Big Red Bench. Thanks very much, John.
0: Miss the show, grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie.
1: Matthew Toomey spoke to me on the Big Red Bench following his Cork senior side, Glenn Dimplex All Ireland Camogie Championship victory away to Wexford. The Cork manager also previewed this Saturday's second All-Ireland group clash against Clare at Parky Ring, gave me an update on his squad and looked ahead to a busy month of senior inter-county action. Now, the Cork Senior Camogie team got their uh, Glenn All-Ireland Camogie Championship off to a winning start away to Wexford with a two fourteen to 1-6 victory uh, down in the Skorthy last weekend and ahead of this weekend's clash with Clare. We're delighted to be joined once again by the Cork Senior Camogie manager, Matthew Toomey. Matthew, welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you?
10: Very good, George. Thanks
1: for having me on. Yeah, a good start. Um, like Wexford have been on a bit of a, a roll of late, winning a, a National League title, going down to Enescarti in what looked and sounded like pretty difficult conditions. You must be delighted to get in and get out with the win, but also to, to, to score 2 14 and to hold your opponents to 1 6. I'd say you're happy with that.
10: Yeah, we'd be very happy. I, I, as you said there, like all of this was going to Wexford. Um, we kinda of changed the way we travelled down there this time as well, just we wanted to try something different and you know, we just wanted to keep fresher and the legs kinda of freer and all that. And yeah, we just went out it from the start and um we scored one eight in the first half and one five of that was from turnover. So the walk rate was unbelievable from the players of so um and just to get the win at all, I guess just the points on the board was, was priority.
1: Indeed it was, and you want to get off to a winning start in in, a, in what's going to be a very, very tight group. I mean, you've got Dublin, you've got Waterford, Dublin just about edging uh, Waterford on the same weekend. Um, and obviously and tip-drawing uh, 10 points each, we'll talk about that in a second. But from your own point of view and Cork's point of view, Amy O'Connor popping up with 2-3 again. We don't need to go back over what a great player she is and her importance to the Cork team, but it must be refreshing and, and uh, encouraging for you and your management team to see her hitting top form already in the Championship.
10: Yeah, she scored I think it was the ten points last week in the multi final, but yeah, she's flying. Um her work rate this year has been unbelievable. We've been really honing and on uh, and and the situation and you know, she was savage like like all the forwards were. Emma Murphy was very very impressive. Um Regan she went out injury was very good, you know, so like there's there's a good um you know, spread of players playing well, which is very, very, very pleasing. Um, you know, we're already doors yet, obviously, but look, we have to start off on a good foot, which we did. Um, you know, so we were very happy with that.
1: Talk to me about Katie O'Mahony as well and the job she did for you this past weekend.
10: Uh, look, Katie's like a, like she's unbelievable. You know, she's probably about four for nothing, but it's full of heart. Like, she's just unreal. You know, she's a great person never owned the place. Uh, she's, um, like, you know, she, she's late twenties, early thirties kind of situation. I won't go into any more detail than that like but she's um she's just brilliant. You know, any job she's she's getting a very um she's playing a very, very unselfish role, you know, she's she's like a tiger, like I, like we're so mad about her. Like she's just she gives it her all and that's all you can ask them, anybody really like
1: yeah, and I suppose from your point of view, Matthew, like whatever about the the scoring, the result was the key thing here to get into Enniskarty and get out with a win the first day and get off into a positive start because as we said, it's going to be a tight group with so many uh, very, very talented teams in that particular group and what you want to do is secure an all earn semi-final place if you can at all. But from your own point of view, driving back from that long road from Enniskarty, I know there's probably still things to work on but looking ahead to the weekend as well with Claire coming, like this, this is really where you wanted to be but in like more or less nearly all of your panel available to you not everyone just yet but you know a settled team coming out of the that epic monster championship and um and heading towards the All-Ireland championship in the best possible fashion
10: definitely uh, yeah like we're, like, I suppose every game we're going to be playing to be fair we're probably going to be but so every team is going to going to put up a fight against us more than anything else and, and that's the key we're, we're really honed in the meeting before the match this year or the last week sorry is that um we have to match that fight if not top it and that was probably the most pleasing thing like I said, when I was coming up the road that was the most pleasing thing that we did match the fight and possibly edge the fight if if, if you know like the, the character is there Um, all the games are going to be tough but I, I like I said from the start I, I'm genuinely happy with that because I, like, I think we're going to be tested like there is things that came up last Saturday that we need to work on and like that's important to have that as well rather than having faced that in the latter stages of the, the championship and having this kind of a shock kind of um you know, like, oh my God, why didn't we see this? But we're, we're getting to see things. Um, Panel-wise, yeah, Ola Cronin came on. Dorsha McCartney came on again, which was great to see her back. Though so She's had a bit of a lay and, and Hannah Looney's back this week. It's going to be a huge impact. And, you know, like I suppose what we wanted and what we found out from the, the, the start of the year, we need a squad. And, you know, that is coming. Like, as I say, Emma Murphy probably wasn't in, in the picture last year. She's certainly in it now. Is the league the same? You know, they're all really chomping at the bit against the team, and they all like the whole panel are working really, really hard. And like the the band there is, is, is savage at the moment, like which is vitally important for us. So you know, like it's it's, it's positive, but but we're at the game one. We're like we're playing care at the weekend. It's going to be another Titanic battle because you know you know they mm. they put us to the pin of our collar. And they, they did it again this week, again against the Prairie. So, you know, they're, they're going to come down now very confident. You know, they, they could have beaten us, probably should have beaten us in normal times. So they're going to be confident putting it up to us again, which is, you know, it's going to be a massive test again for us. So we just have to embrace it you now.
1: Indeed you will. And, and like just finally on that, like if anybody did have any lingering doubts about Claire, and I doubt very much, very few people inside the cork camogie Camo- 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 community had, but the 10 points, to 10 point draw away to Tipperary at the RAG at the past weekend a game they could have won underlined again just what a quality team this is you've seen them up front you had the benefit of playing them after extra time as you said in the Munster final do you think there'll be much difference in the lineups uh, when when, thing, when it comes to it again or are you just focused on yourselves Matthew, heading into this one
10: um, we probably be focused on ourselves. Like we're kind of, we are aware that they're this will be their fifth or that this will be their sixth week on the bounce or something yeah. like that. Like it's, it's, it's a big ask for them, and and I think all oh, those games have been away from home as well. So look, like you know, I suppose they'll have to freshen, train, freshen things up a this. But like again, going to the rag jeez like. Mm. It's torturous, like so. I think for them, like I have seen the game, and, and they were impressive again. Like again, like the ten ten point each scoring probably doesn't do justice to the game. The the, the hurling it was very very good. You know, it was a very competitive game, and you know, look, like, yeah, they they're going to come down, but like like we had no, as you said, we had no illusions about them. Like we know what we're going to face, so you know, we're 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 ready for the battle again, and, and that's what, it, what it's going to be, like
1: indeed it will well listen congratulations to you Matthew Toomey and your backroom team and your players and your first uh, Glenn Dimplex All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship victory of the season away to Wexford last weekend 2.14 to six. and this weekend uh, your second game out uh, at home to Clare that should be another cracker we wish you well in that
10: thank you very much John
1: that's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can also listen online at redextra.ie Don't forget to tune in to The Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow The Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie.
0: The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.